0: Welcome to the flyfisher.co.za podcasts. Fly fishing is not always just about casting a line and catching a fish. It's often about things that go with our fly fishing adventures and uh, I'm happy to say I have Chris Bladen sitting with me, who casts bronze sculptures, takes some stunning photographs and dabbles with a paintbrush. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you very much, Mike. Excellent to have you here. We we look forward to hearing about and your in-depth knowledge of casting bronze. It's not something that I would jump in and stick my head into immediately. So how did you get into fly fishing? I know you grew up in Pumalanga. Yeah, we uh,
1: started fly fishing when I was probably about five years old, with a a spinning rod, (laughs) but I was adamant to have a fly on the end of it, like the older people had, and uh, I suppose my father saw that I suppose he needs a fly rod, and uh, I was probably about six, seven when I was casting fly lines for the first time. That's
0: alright. And you grew up in Pumalanga? Actually Pretoria, at that stage. But I know you got into um, sculpting and, and artwork when you were very young. So how did you get into that and how did it start off? My father had a
1: business in Pretoria where he used to train people to carve in stone in yeah. verdite, to be precise. And I sort of caught onto it quite young. It sort of, I was fascinated by being able to create something from nothing. Yeah. But it didn't take long for me to to uh, start carving my own pieces and you know funny enough they, they were fish <laughs> in various mediums stone and wood
0: yeah
1: and um yeah you know, really enjoyed it
0: yeah and then how did you progress from there i know you're trained in dental technology that's right so yes. tell us how that came about
1: you know once i finished national service i had the choice fortunately to go and study and uh, art was my first choice yeah but, uh, so the old man wasn't too happy with that or you know, he uh, thought that they artists battle so i had to choose something else and i thought dental technology was the way to go after doing quite a bit of research on on different courses you know it was uh, also very hands-on you create you know we we learned to to carve and wax and you know, and that sort of introduced me to the Lost Wax casting process
0: Yeah Just while we're talking about hands-on uh, It's difficult, we should be doing a video cast Because Chris hasn't stopped moving his hands since we started chatting It's a very hands-on kind of person <laughs> But as you can imagine from sculpting, etc Okay, so then what did you do once you had done that? And you, you finished exceptionally well in your class In your dental school, s- surgery or sculpting, should I rather say
1: Yeah,
0: I suppose that happened
1: uh, I enjoyed it You know, yeah. that was... Um, I enjoyed the anatomy part and I enjoyed the the actual hands-on part I was you know I've always you know try to be the best at what I do yeah
0: so what happened once you you graduated and now I graduated then went across to the UK
1: and I worked in the industry for about 10 years yeah. and earning pounds sort of gave me uh, the opportunity to travel which I really enjoyed I backpacked to places, you know, Mexico a couple of times, Cuba, Florida, you know, sort of any place where...
0: So what did you catch on
1: those trips? <laughs> <laughs> Caught bonefish, top and I was lucky enough to catch a permit, and uh, many other rats and mice. Yeah. And That um, yeah, was good fun. Yeah. It was, and, and I suppose that's where my real inspiration also came, you know, where I kind of decided to make a career decision and uh, get into sculpting of fish, yeah. uh, having the, the hands-on experience behind me.
0: Mm-hmm. So then how did you get into sculpting? Because <laughs> you don't go from making teeth to making fish. No, I've, well, like I said
1: earlier, I've always been fascinated by fish, and uh, I've enjoyed making or carving in stone, and you know, having now the metal experience behind me. Uh, I decided, well, you know, let me give the sculpting a go. Uh, the problem with stone carving was your fins and fin- tails and things were so fragile, you know, the slightest little knock and they'd be gone
0: yeah.
1: or broken. Whereas, you know, in metal, you know, they were there. Bronze can be fixed at any given time, yeah. it can bend, you bend it back, or, you know, if something did happen, you weld pieces back. And it's a a lovely medium, because it's there for forever, really.
0: Mm. So then when did you come back to South Africa and start sculpting? I came back
1: to South Africa about 10 years ago, having had enough of the English grey weather. (laughs) Well, that's why I thought, you know, it's time for a career change, or at least a try. And uh, my first piece I sculpted back here was a trout. And before it was even completed, I'd already flogged two of them to total strangers. Sure and uh yeah, that kind of cut it for me and you know that's uh i quickly produced some bonefish and permit you know obviously being very in love with those species yeah. and uh yeah, it kind of kicked off there you know yeah. now i haven't looked back yet
0: okay so how many pieces do you have and about how many within each one of those pieces have you produced and sold
1: i have about 25 to 30 pieces that, that are completed, that are that are marketable. Yeah. And those pieces are all of a limited edition. hmm uh, So it's... A good number for me would be a, an edition of, say, 15 pieces.
0: Yeah.
1: The bigger the pieces get, the smaller I kind of... The ...do the edition. The bigger the, the th- thing, the harder it is to, to craft. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, I'll try and keep, keep them exclusive. You know, a lot of artists... Put limited editions of 100, 200 pieces. Uh, to me, that's not really a limited edition, you know, and you know I want it to be an investment for someone.
0: Yeah, true. Well, let's talk about how you create a piece, and then run us through the initial. How do you formulate the piece, and how do you get your idea of this is what's going to look like at the end? Well, it helps
1: helps me catching them first. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and obviously photographing them, you know, and, the, and it's nice feeling the fish. You know, you sort of get a good feeling for it. Uh, I also got very into the the photography part here, um, you know, and photographing parts of a fish that you wouldn't normally see on fish.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, that would help me a lot back in the studio. Yeah, I do quite a bit of research on the net as well but those are the sort of areas which you, that you never find on photographs yeah. you know of the bellies and you know under the gill plates and you know, intricate little areas like that
0: yeah oh, on top and under the gill plates is where it all happens yeah i was very yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> i still
1: battle with those parts
0: yeah okay so then you've now decided that i'm going to do a top and then you have a general idea of, of what you're going to do how do you then take it to form well, I'd try and do a few
1: sketches of a, of a piece that I envision. Um, I'd sort of imagine, you know, how a fish would jump or swim. And, uh, you know, according to that, I would uh, build an armature and attach that to a, you know, a piece of wood. Yeah. And then I'd start my clay process. It wouldn't always necessarily be clay. I, I use different mediums to make my original. Interesting. Sometimes I feel plaster would work better for me, or wax. Um, yeah. So it doesn't really matter what you use for your for your original model. Anyway, I'd say I was using clay. I would then build up clay on the over the armature. You know, I love working with different textures. I think they make the piece more alive and original. Yeah. I don't. I'm not one of those artists that try and copy every single scale because I think you sort of. You lose the artiness in it, you know I kind of keep it I try and keep it a bit more contemporary, although i try although my form is very important to me if I'm doing tunas, I want people to see that's a yellowfin tuna or it's a bluefin tuna or, yeah. or a dog tooth tuna and that's quite an important...
0: And it's not a photo it's not a
1: photograph you know, if you look closer, you'll see there are all sorts of interesting little textures and and fingerprints and I'm actually not brave enough yet. I'd like to go a lot wilder with my pieces, but yeah. it takes a bit of time to get the guts. Yeah,
0: There's some international guys who've gone wild, and their stuff is looking exceptionally good. No, absolutely.
1: I take my hat off to those guys, but when you look at their work, you can see they really understand and uh, have a feeling for the for the object that they're doing. Um, they artists that do cats that are phenomenal, and you, they have a serious understanding of, yeah. of 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 the piece they're doing.
0: Okay, so now you've got your clay model and you're comfortable and happy that you want to take this to market. What do you do next? Well, then then the work starts. <laughs> uh, but, uh, we uh, I then
1: produce a silicon rubber mold
0: yeah.
1: around the piece, and you know it wouldn't necessarily be one piece. You know, I'd have to cut off fins and tails and. Because of undercuts. So a mold would a mold of a piece would could quite often be five pieces. Yeah. You know, once I've done the silicon mold I open it all up and remove the original and I then slosh molten wax in my silicon rubber mold. And once you when you when that's set you open it up and you know, the easiest way to explain it would be like an Easter egg. Yeah. To because a hollow casting is much and you get much more detail, it's much better casting yeah. and easier to handle. You can imagine a solid six-foot bronze, you know, would be, it would be very unpractical yeah, to true. work with.
0: Okay, so now you have a wax model that looks identical to your original but it's cut up into five pieces. That's right. Okay, so where do we go from, from there?
1: Well, the wax model, we then put all those pieces back together again, <laughs> which sounds rather <laughs> ridiculous and try and get it exactly the same as the original
0: yeah
1: and the sad part is we then cut it up again <laughs> <laughs> but this time not looking at undercuts but looking at how at a, a practical casting so um yeah you've then got you know, uh, typically say four or five pieces of of wax yeah and another reason we cut it up so is also to get you know, when we get to the ceramic stage, to be able to get the ceramic to go inside the hollow part uh, in order to be able to cast the hollow piece.
0: So you then obviously put in drawers and what, what are they called? Are the bits that let the metal flow and the air flow out?
1: Yeah, it's in the, in the foundry industry. It's called gating.
0: Okay. But, uh,
1: you know, they're they really runners and risers. And runners you're and risers. And you're casting cup all these parts would be attached to your to your wax wax pattern yeah or you know, your wax pattern with with all with this whole contraption on it it's starting to look less and less like a fish well, absolutely sometimes you put a, use a lot of imagination this whole contraption we then dip in a ceramic solution
0: yeah
1: which is a huge ceramic tank and you know we'll get the finest detail as you know as fine as fingerprints yeah I'd probably a piece about or up to say 10 times and after each dipping you add a ceramic sand which you know enables the you know, your ceramic core to thicken up yeah
0: you bake that how
1: how long and how hot well, we then bake the uh, ceramic shell at probably about 900 degrees sure so it gets pretty hot at the same time you lose your wax yeah and that's where that saying comes from the lost, lost wax. wax process yes yeah at the same time we'd be melting a pot of metal
0: okay so it's all kind of like one stroke now now we started in the morning and now we just work yes yes and how many are you doing at the same time four or five pieces
1: yeah i try and capitalize on energy so if you know if it was a big piece it would be you know it'd be five different big pieces but you know the smaller pieces i'd do up to four five six sculptures at a time yeah with all their little parts and sometimes all of those little parts are attached to the gating
0: yeah and, um, so it really
1: doesn't look like a fish at all no not at all and it's extremely fragile so you've yeah. got to work very carefully with very hot objects oh yeah and the metal melts at about uh,
0: 1160 degrees so while you're baking you're melting metal we're
1: melting metal in a, in a... is this all
0: happening in your studio or do you outsource this to another foundry? Well, I used to. Um, in the early days, I outsourced a lot
1: of most of my work, but I got so annoyed with foundries, you know, because fish would come back with dings in them, and you know, and I'm a bit of a, a detail freak,
0: and yeah, that much
1: I attest to. So, <laughs> so I eventually decided, well, you know, stuff this. I'll I'll cast my own work. Yeah. So we we first built a a big furnace that myself and I bought built a uh, furnace that took an 80-kilo pot. It was a bit of an overkill because we, <laughs> 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 we had to pull in mates from all over the place <laughs> to come and help carry the stuff. And uh, so I've you know, a couple of years ago, I built a furnace from a 44-gallon drum and fire cement, etc. So I'm melting about a 30-kilo pot now. Sure. Which, uh, that takes about 40 minutes to melt
0: yeah.
1: with a with a paraffin burner.
0: All right, let me just get this straight then. So you got the ceramics in the oven at 900 degrees. You've got 30 kilograms of molten bronze sitting at 1,100 degrees and two mad Cantonians running around trying to manage all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just painting the scene.
1: Yeah, no, it gets pretty hot. We, we all clad it up with safety gear. and um, but I'd say at about 1,100 degrees right there, we we uh, would open up the oven mm-hmm. and whip out our ceramics and they would carefully be put into a drum and then filled up with sand around them okay. which would support and it's also you know, a nice little safety feature because you don't want a, a ceramic shell to burst and it does quite often happen then you got trouble so we try and keep it all contained and um, once your ceramics are safely in the sand we would then open up the furnace and with our casting irons we'd whip out the crucible and give the bronze a good mix up, degas it and then pick it up. Degass it? Is that
0: because it holds bubbles within the bronze?
1: Yeah, no, it just gives you a much better consistency. You know, there is air trapped in the bronze sometimes yeah. and if, you, if we'd have slag on the top, that uh, okay. that's another thing we add to the bronze you know, and that help, helps pull out impurities. Yeah. So that, all that we've got to remove first. Oh, it's an absolutely beautiful, mesmerizing thing to see this pot of molten bronze. And it's I
0: can well imagine.
1: And it's probably at this stage about 1,200 degrees. But it melts at 1,160. 1,200 degrees is a good temperature for
0: us to cast. Um, Why? Because it's, it's fluid, but it's not too fluid yes and
1: exactly and by the by, the time we've got all this stuff ready our molds have started cooling down a little bit
0: you don't want them too cold eh? you
1: don't want them too cold another reason you also want the hot mold is for the bronze to be able to flow all the way to the bottom uh, with, to. without it setting yes. um, if you have a cold uh, ceramic shell you know, the bronze would set before it gets into all the fine areas and you know, especially fins and tails yeah. and things.
0: And this is the key. If you screw it up now, you go back to square one. So you then exactly. got to re- with your first wax. I've
1: got to start the wax again. Oh,
0: uh, okay. And so this is, this is the key. Exactly. Everything else up until now can be done again and doesn't exactly.
1: really matter. Exactly, yes. Um, yeah, and it probably takes about 20 minutes for the metal to solidify. Yeah. And we'd leave it in the sand for about an hour because it's kind of still quite volatile if you uh, try and remove your ceramic shell too early, if your metal could actually pull. Because um, metal actually crystallizes, yeah. believe it or not, as, as it sets or uh, cools down. It's best to leave it till it's cold. Yeah. And then you carefully take a hammer and chisel, and you'd knock off the excess ceramic shell. Mm-hmm. And what you have there in front of you then is, is basically a bronze... ...replica of the wax that you had. Yeah. And, um, you know, then the serious work starts.
0: So it's still got all the channels and it's held together like a big... ...couple of meatballs on the end of spaghetti. Exactly. So now the hard work comes, you're going to cut all that off and put it back together again.
1: Exactly. Yes, we we cut off all the runners and risers, the pouring spout will get cut off. We then give the whole piece, or all the pieces, a good sandblast. Yeah. And that would clean up the metal which looks quite dull at this stage. And then we'd carefully weld back all the pieces. That would be done with a TIG welder using argon gas. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like brazing the piece.
0: Yeah.
1: And then we use files and air tools and we try and work. Well, we don't try. We have to work work it back exactly like the original mm-hmm. You don't want to see any welding marks and you know it's incredible what you can do with bronze it's a very it's a very beautiful medium to work yeah.
0: in. i have closely inspected a few of your pieces now that you've uh. told me you cut it into five and i can't see a single joint well yes i'm sure you so. could point them out to me but right now <laughs> the mystique is just in the pure workmanship yeah i suppose
1: they are there are always little flaws with uh, the i won't show you it's <laughs> only i know about them yeah
0: i know we'll leave it just like that <laughs> but now you're not finished yet because now now it's cleaned it's blasted and you you worked a bit of the stuff off the outside how do you finish the piece so it's got to describe it properly is that there are different shades of bronze going the right the way through the piece how do you get those different shades of bronze to come out
1: well, this process is called patination. It's a it's a method that's been used for thousands of years, same as the casting. Yeah. Where we etch the metal, and this will be first of all, our, we'd you know when the piece is complete in in metal, we'd sandblast it again, uh, just to clean it of oil all oil, yeah. oils and you know t- you, you don't want any impurities yeah. on it. We then uh, put on what we call a base coat, which is. Uh, a kind of a sulfide, and you know that would fill up all the indentations, and it will help bring out the detail yeah. and textures in the piece. And that would get scrubbed off again. And that the base coat also helps for your patina to, to, to etch onto the metal. Patina. Now the patina process is what we do is we heat up the metal with a with a blowtorch. Yeah. And then we have various chemicals that do various things to the metal, so it's a, it's a, it's very much speeding up the natural oxidizing process. You could imagine putting a you know finding a bronze prop in the ocean that's been there a hundred years would come out green, and you know all sorts of things happening to the bronze. And what we do in the studio is we just speed it up using these chemicals and with a paintbrush I'll dab on and I generally you know I try and c- catch the character in a piece you know if you take a tarpon for instance you know, the back would be a lot darker yeah. than the belly would and you know and I try and get that back into the piece or, or try and produce that.
0: No, I think you do that very well and I think that's what brings so much life to the pieces that you that you put out there
1: well, thank you very much
0: but now, now you, you're almost finished you're almost finished. So you've got this beautiful bronze sculpture which has now been reassembled. How do you finish that piece off? I mean, what do you do to, to your final pieces to, to before you give them to the customer? What kind of bases do you put them on and do you number and sign each piece at the bottom, etc.?
1: Yes, no, absolutely. I'll actually, uh, talking about numbering and signing, I'll do that in the wax process uh, well, because it's a lot easier. Yeah we actually skipped the part after my patination I do a, uh, a clear wax coating over the bronze okay. and that's what gives your bronze that nice shiny hue uh, bronzes are made to be touched and uh, people you know, people that own wax uh, bronzes, some of them like waxing them all the time But you know, you, you put a wax on and then you buff it up with a soft cloth yeah. and it really brings out the shine and livens it up when it comes to the bases, I, I generally, you know, I sort of have to decide what will work with a piece. And I've found that you know, I use timber or wood. I use granite with my pieces. I try and build steps sometimes you know, just to enhance the piece. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the uh, frame around a painting. You know, true. A, a, a good painting can be damaged by a bad frame and uh, vice versa. So, you know, we've got to carefully choose our bases and, um, to enhance the, the sculpture, but not to take away from it.
0: You said you enjoy your photography. So what are you doing in that front at the moment? Are you still out taking lots of photographs? Yeah, I've got a couple of
1: mates. Go, we go and uh, stuff around with photographs. Tom Sutliff being one, Daryl Lampett, Gerard uh, Lopesha, We've uh, I think we're all very passionate about photos, and we learn a lot from each other. Yeah. The difficult thing with fishing photography and I think they'd all all agree with me is if the person holding the fish isn't into photography, it becomes it very it, difficult. Because yes. that person has to understand, you know, about poses and angles, and you know, especially when we do our underwater shots, mm. uh, guys who don't take photos want to catch the next fish as quick as possible. I don't think we're doing the fish any harm. They're in the water most of the time. Uh, in fact, most of our shots are underwater. So it's actually a good time for the fish to relax as well before we release them. Obviously.
0: Yeah. Where are you mainly doing that in the rivers and streams around the Western Cape? Yeah, I suppose I'm very lucky having those around, and
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh hour, off, you know, depending what river we choose. But I suppose the closest river is probably less than an hour away, and yeah. you can go and take a few photographs and be back home for dinner. Um, so we're very lucky with that. And we, we also with all of the different rivers, we you know they sort of different milieus or backgrounds, and you know you'd have the whole Sluit River and the Small Brawl River, the fish would look different.
0: Yeah, and um, the backgrounds completely different. Absolutely. One's got a white bottom, the other one's got a brown bottom. Exactly. To be very
1: vegetation and the, the you know the narrowness or the the width of the river.
0: Yeah.
1: The mountain scenery. That's what I enjoy quite a lot is getting that human element in as well. You know, having a hand there or, or a boot or, or a fly, uh, I think it adds to the photograph. Being a fly fishing photograph, yeah, because yeah, you know, essentially that is what it is to me. It's uh, it's the fly fishing part that that's really my passion
0: now. Yeah. And then your painting, you're doing oils and a bit of watercolors. Yeah, I'm dabbling with that a bit.
1: It's uh, I uh, I uh, battle to sell them because I don't ever feel they're finished. I've been commissioned on more than one occasion, and it's—I it's, think the clients get quite confused, quite uh, quite difficult because they wait for ages. But I, uh, it's, you know, they eventually they get there, and they're generally flat scenes, and, uh, and I love that tur- turquoise water.
0: And,
1: yeah. It's—it's uh, yeah, um, it's, it's more, it's more of a just a release in another medium.
0: Well, just on a bit of the technical stuff. How much time do you reckon goes into each one of your pieces that you sculpt?
1: Oh Mike, that's a question I people ask me every day. Um, I have to d- divide it in two parts. There's the the process of, of of creating the bronze, and that that I'd say, you know, from the mold making mold making to the final product, you know, where it's finished and and done. I would say that takes about six to eight, eight weeks. Yeah. The sculpting—that's now the part before the mold making—could take anything, depending on what it is. Really, it, sometimes I'm lucky; I can pull something off in two weeks. Sometimes it takes me two years. Yeah. Um. So that's the Absolutely. You know, sometimes I'd have a piece. Sometimes it would be—it would, you know—it would be ninety-nine percent there, and you know it's not right. There's something that bugs you. And, quite often it's just one little spot that you have to change or yeah. or move an eye back two millimeters which would make the piece right
0: and let's uh, let's talk about how much material goes into a, a standard sculpture i mean the one that i just picked up here which is a baby i say baby top and it's a smallish top and on a table <laughs> that weighs probably about five pounds maybe even more is that about right my hands are deceiving me yeah, well,
1: I suppose you are about right. It's um, my my sculptures, like I said, I do some miniature work as well. There, which weigh literally grams. Yeah. And you know, I'm busy with a six foot tarpon at the moment, <laughs> which I am guessing would be in the region of about a hundred kilos. Yeah. Um, I've I did a potato bass a few years ago. We were looking at the, about 80, 85 kilograms. Sure. that was excluding the stone base i had underneath it so yeah it's a you know any any weight really depends on the size
0: yeah and what would you sell a a normal sculpture for and i'm not trying to pry you on your prices and and i know that some of your stuff is expensive purely for the materials but if we looked at these two items what would we oh
1: yeah you know for a proper sculpture i'd I'd say we'd start at about four thousand rand and, and I suppose the sky's the limit. Yeah. If someone commissioned me to do a a ten foot bait ball with three Marlins swimming around you know, I could probably go up to a million plus. Yeah,
0: true. And for the American listeners. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> um quite often I yeah, you know, I'm probably do myself in with most of these things. Yeah. But um I'd say on average, you know, you're looking at about
0: sort of ten thousand Rand for a, for a nice size sculpture yep, which is um, more than affordable in most people's money for the quality and the product that I see sitting in front of me I would have no problem in fact taking my checkbook <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> uh, so let's do we do quickfire favorites with every interview so let's just run through the quickfire favorites favorite dry fly I have to say the rad favorite nymph uh, GRH Goldrims Hazier that's right yeah. favorite rod
1: my GLX oh. Loomis
0: <laughs> favorite species
1: I'd have to say tarpon or permit the permit's a fish that really gets under the skin
0: now I just want to add that the, my favorite sculpture of all of yours is the permit that's being held up on the back oh, the you. one with his head down just about to eat that crab <laughs> favorite gadget or gizmo
1: my uh, macbook my apple
0: your apple macbook <laughs> author movie book and it doesn't always have to be fly fishing related John Guerra <laughs> uh, have you got a favourite movie? Into the Wild Oh, Okay, so Girach any one of his books There's your author in your book and then Into the Wild And this is going to be a tough one Because you've probably fished all over the place But if I was to give you an all-expensive paid trip anywhere in the world I'd probably
1: have to go to, uh, to Siberia
0: That would be very cool Thank you so much for your time, Chris I really appreciate it I'm going to put up a couple of photographs And uh, let the guys see your work
1: Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure speaking
0: to you. Thank you.
1: They say you know life is given But I tell you now it's all within that river you find yourself in the heart of heaven Close off so long you could swim forever One place to rest your grace The silver sands lead the way The water's golden, stories told Three clouds, sapphire, summer days one way to spend your day Take yourself deep right away Drive six hours and walk five
0: days Hey, hey, hey!